You're listening to Our Space with Matt Batiste. Today's episode, we are talking to Amy Fleischer Madden. Amy's an author and founder of Fiddler Records. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So your latest book, Negatives, I swear, I have it right here. Oh, wow. It, it made it in the screen. I it love it. It made it into the screen, and it is fantastic. I've been uh, absolutely loving it. I still, there's just so much in here that I still haven't completely finished reading each and every single uh, blurb about every band because it's been so, like, there's so much in here, but I've been loving it all so far. And obviously, I skipped all of my favorite bands and I've read that. So I'm kind of like scattered throughout this, this book. It's different than sort of reading it from, from start to finish, but I've been loving it. And it really feels like this um, sort of beautiful view of like a behind the curtain type thing, something that we would have all killed to sort of see pre Facebook. Um, and so tell me, how did it all kind of come to be? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> the easy answer is that it was sort of a documentary. Um, and then the pandemic haven't happened and it was like a hard pivot into a book. But the the long answer is I feel like I've been working on this book for my entire life, like since I was 15 kind of thing. Um, everything I ever worked on, like every band I ever worked with, every show I ever went to, like photos, flyers, friends, like I've just been like hoarding them in boxes, not the friends, but just the stuff. <laughs> um, super creepy. Um, and yeah, storage lockers, yeah. bodies. Oh God. I think that's a TV show. That's something different. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, there were times when I was making it where it felt like I'm still in high school making my zine, like about my friends bands. And, and it was just like, this is just a really high polished version of that. And that felt really, really cool. So is there any sort of video form of this book? W will we maybe get a documentary one day? May maybe. Um, big, big capital M, maybe. It's a big TBD in my world right now. <laughs> um, so with, with that being said, sort of like reliving it all, is there sort of one thing in particular that you remember that sort of sparked the interest of like saying, hey, I need to do this and sort of dig up all these old things? For old sure. Pictures? So one of the main like there's a couple of photographers that contributed a, a large volume of photos. And one of those photographers is one of my oldest friends. His name is RJ Shaughnessy. And he was cleaning out his basement and he found like merch bins full of negatives. And uh, he gave me a call and it was raining. And in Los Angeles, when it rains, it's just like terror because houses leak and roads flood. Um, and he called me and he was like, I'm cleaning out my basement. It's raining. The basement is flooding. And I just found all these negatives. Like, can you come over? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll be right there. And RJ used to shoot, uh, I'd say almost all of my fiddler bands. Um, I wouldn't say exclusively, but he, he was my guy. Like we lived together and we did everything together. And so I started digging and I found a lot of fiddler negatives. And then I started finding other bands that he shot for me. Um, when I had a magazine years and years ago and it was like, okay, this is Jimmy world. This is dashboard confessional. This is taking back Sunday. And it was like, 
this this is something like this is crazy because what happened back then is he would shoot on film and because I didn't have a ton of money, you would get the film processed and then you look at a contact sheet with a loop and you could pick three like because you have to then have those blown up or printed and then scanned. And it was just so expensive that there would be like 33 other images from that roll of 36 that no one has ever seen. Like I looked at it for five minutes and like a great example of that was he shot Jimmy World for me. And we went to this like, I've, I don't even know this wooded area that we found behind a venue. And it's like the band is doing jump kicks and fighting with sticks and like all this really fun stuff that at the time shooting for a magazine, it didn't feel right. And then now where it's 20 years later, it's like, this is so cool. Like these guys are just acting like kids having fun and we have photos of it. And yeah, it really set me on a path to like get the photos out there. Yeah. I mean, there's even one photo in there that stuck out to me and it was of uh, Gerard way at like a, a, a of the grocery store. store. Yeah. Yeah. Just like doing a little stop. And I'm like, this is stuff that you just wouldn't have seen back then because well now with social media people are just kind of posting whatever wherever whenever right maybe you'd see something like that um bands might post like hey stop it on tour grabbing some doritos or whatever but like back then there was more mystery because social media wasn't as prominent so seeing those pictures now and, and especially through professional lenses it that candidness to it sort of just has much more of, of an impact. And uh, it must have been really cool sort of like living through all of that and being there with them as they were doing those little things that we never really got to see back then. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's how I feel exactly like the t the 23 other hours that people are not on stage. That's what I wanted to show people like just humans doing human things, but also for an hour a day, they get on stage and melt your face off. And it's so cool to see them in that candid light as well, right? Because you're like, oh, okay, cool. This is just it, it, that picture of Gerard Way that I have in my, in my mind right now. He kind of looks just like a regular teenager in a grocery totally. store. Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite images in the book. It was shot by Justin Baruki, who toured with them for a couple of years. And... I love that photo so much because he's wearing, I think he's wearing an American nightmare hoodie, which, you know, we love that. And then cargo shorts, yeah, and like cargo new balances. Shorts. And, and it's like, he's just a dude. Like he's a regular ass dude eating some chips, getting some chips. And I just love that so much. Like, cause you know, five minutes before that he's in makeup with hair on stage being like our generation's Freddie Mercury. And then it's like, yeah, I think I want Tostitos, but maybe not the lime <laughs> Tostitos, the regular Tostitos. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's really cool when you kind of get to see that different side of them. And it, I, I don't know. There's also something weird about seeing artists off stage as well, where, you know, they're like taller or shorter than you imagine. Like the stage is this persona for, I think, a lot of artists and seeing the pictures in your book and kind of ripping like like taking out that persona and seeing behind the curtain is definitely something that felt uh 
really different and really cool. Do you have a favorite picture or story from the book? Oh, it's like choosing children, even though I only have one child. Um, <laughs> and it's 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 true. Like every time I flip through it, depending on my day or what is going on in my life, there will be like a different favorite photo, which I think is super interesting. Um, and I never want to pick one of my photos as a favorite because it just feels ridiculous. Um, but I think what you were saying what I've learned on this journey is like photography is such a collaborative medium where it's not really always expressed that way, but it's like the person taking the photo and the person in the room is just as important as what's going on because they either let you into their world and they take their mask off or they don't. And I love that when you see these photos, like Justin's photo of, of my chemical romance, like, Gerard is giving you his real face. Like that's, that's who he is. And it is also who he is on stage. It, that's a different version of him. But I think the goal was to like grant everyone access to like, we're just real people, you know, we're trying to do this thing and drive around and play shows. Um, I wish I, I don't know. Every, every time I do, I've been doing these like social media reels to promote the book. And every time I do one for a band, I'm like, those are my favorite photos. And then like three days go by and I'm like, no, those are my favorite. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to pick a favorite. I don't think I can. <laughs> it, what you're saying is it's easier to pick a favorite kid. Mm, <laughs> yes. <only> one. <laughs> yes. The kid that picks their towel up off the floor and puts their plate in the sink. That's your favorite kid. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite story that's in there? Um, I don't know either. These are great questions. I feel unprepared. Um, I what I'm also experiencing is that people when I post the social media reels, I do post the copy from the book, at least as much as I can. I get kind of cut off on Instagram lengthwise, but I'm finding that something as simple as like my total unadulterated love for thrice is completely reciprocated out there by thrice fans to the point where like people hit me back and they're like, yo, this made me cry. I feel the same way. And I'm like, Oh, it's like something resonated with you. Like, that's so awesome. Um, I think, I don't know if I have a favorite story. I feel like, uh, what was really great is I just, I'm trying to keep everything positive. Like, by no means is it like a slam book or like anything bad about anybody where it's like, let's just tell the good stories. Like I would never put a band in the book and be like, this band sucks. So <laughs> <laughs> like every band that's in there. I mean, yeah, that that's the thing too, is you, you, you want to kind of, I feel like just looking back at all of the artists that are in there, like what there's no point of sort of putting out that negativity no there at all anyway i i don't understand that side of things so definitely you can tell that when you're flipping through your book like you genuinely loved every band and every picture and every story like there is a lot of love and care that went into this book and you can feel that as you're as you're going through it a hundred percent yeah i feel like the only negativity that i feel is internally of bands that I couldn't fit in or bands that I couldn't get photos of and things like that. And then it's like, Oh man, that would have been so great to put them in there. 
And for one reason or another, like, you know, I couldn't fit every single band in the whole world in. Um, but somebody posted a song from Game Face today. I don't know if you ever got into Game Face. And I was like, shit, I love Game Face. They would have been so awesome. But then, um, then I go down the like the AB binariness of like, were they emo or were they pop punk? Were they post hardcore? I don't know. And then, and then I have to like shut it down and be like, relax. The book is done. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually speaking of that, you know, did you have any hesitation of sort of calling it photographic archive of emo? Just because I feel like, uh, especially back then in the time we grew up, emo was almost like a bad word. You know, like nobody wanted to be known as an emo band. At least that's the way that it was where I grew up. Uh, Whereas I think a lot of us now that we're older, we kind of look back and we don't care or we embrace it or we're just kind of like, yeah, that that was emo. But it felt like you can take the most emo of emo bands from back then and people be like, oh, no, that's pop punk or that's punk or that's hardcore. Or you, there was always some sort of different name for it because emo felt like a bad word back then a hundred percent and emo was a bad word back then it was an insult um and my editor that i worked with is a little bit younger than me and she is one of us she's an emo person (laughs) and it really took me seeing things through her lens where she didn't grow up with that like she grew up with it more of like as a jokey thing but not as a like bad word and I struggled with like, I would put different verbiage on the cover. It would be like a photographic archive of rock. And it was like, this is not rock. And then it was like indie rock. And it was like, this is not indie rock. And then one day it was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to say it. Um, it's an emo book. Um, yeah, it, it took a lot of like growth to kind of shed that negative connotation of the word. Yeah, I I just really hope that now we're sort of at that point where we can sort of shed shed the negativity around it. Um, Yeah, I I think actually so in 2020, the height of the pandemic, uh, Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem started doing these Instagram lives. We were all all doing them at the time, but uh, I particularly loved his because I'm a big fan of the Gaslight Anthem. And he had Chris Caraba on. And I remember Chris saying something along the lines of how emo was this bad word back then. And uh, even back then, though, he sort of just embraced it. Do you find that some bands embraced it more than others? I can remember the first few Further Seems Forever shows and Dashboard and Further Seems Forever timeline kind of weaves in and out. But I I booked a show for them and I was like, what should I put? I always used to put like a descriptor under the band for whatever reason I had to be extra. And I remember being like, what should I call Further Seems Forever? Because it was four dudes from Strongarm and the dude from Bacon Andes. And they were like, put arena rock band. And I was like, what? (laughs) Because we want to play arenas. Like we want to be an arena rock band, like fucking Foo Fighters. And... (laughs) Uh, so at that point we hadn't really like adopted the emo moniker, but I do feel like this sort of answers your previous question. I think when Chris really came into his own as dashboard confessional, like when we left our little nest in Florida and we drove and met people and talked to people and talked to fans, there was this big realization of like, 
oh my God, we, we are in the third wave of this. We are making this as we go. Like, I guess we are emo. Like, cause to us, like emo was Texas is the reason. And that was not what he was. And it was very confusing, especially for dashboard because it was a solo acoustic project. And I remember when I used to do PR kits and things, I kept, I would, tell people like over the phone, I'd be like, it's like the Goo Goo, doll, Goo Goo Dolls, but good. Like, not that, <laughs> not that the Goo Goo Dolls are bad, but like, I was like, it's like punk, but the Goo Goo Dolls, which they also started as a punk band, which is a whole other thing. Um, so I had a hard time like describing it to people. Um, and I think once we started to feel that like, oh, wow, we sold like a hundred CDs at this show that we didn't even know a single person here. It was like, this is a thing like the thing is happening and we're in it. Like it was really a cool moment. Yeah, that's uh, I'm sure you had a lot of those. Uh, was there like a moment that made you really want to say, all right, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to create this record label just because I'm, I'm thinking like you were 16 when you started Fiddler Records. And I think back to when I was 16 and all I wanted to do was be at shows and drink with my friends. Like there was no part of me that was like, I am fit to start a record label and let's grab a bunch of my friends' bands and let, let's let go all in and, and let's do this. At 16, it was like, all right, cool. I got a bunch of friends and bands. I'm playing in bands. Let's play a show and then let's go get drunk afterwards. Like that was very much my mentality back then. So at, at 16, that's very impressive. Like what made you sort of say, hey, you know what, Let's let's do this. Um, so I came from the South Florida scene, I guess you could call it. And Miami and Fort Lauderdale and West Palm, there there were not a lot of us. It wasn't like growing up on Long Island or growing up in Southern California where it was just like kids and venues and VFW halls and things like that. And I, it was probably a hundred kids, like at, at the most. And we all sort of knew each other and I always heard like rumors and things about like Gilman street in San Francisco. And it would be like, you have to have a membership card to get in and they take it away from you. If you do something fucked up and like people stay after and they mop up and they put the trash away. And that sort of like DIY punk ethic, even though it had nothing to do with emo, even though I think emo is a sliver of punk, whatever the older band members and scene members that came before me really sort of were like, Hey, there's not a lot of us. And if we don't push the thing forward, it doesn't go anywhere. Like if we don't book our own shows, there's no promoter to book it. If we don't call the bands to come down, they don't come. So that sort of like hard work mentality. Um, also, I think I was wildly delusional when I was 16. It was like, I can climb Mount Everest. Like it's just a mountain. So I don't think I really knew how hard of a thing I was doing, like until years later, <laughs> until it was like, what am I doing with my life? Um, so I think, you know, the older bands and not that they were older, older, but just older than me. Like there was a great punk rock band called the crumbs and the drummer in the crumbs, his name was Chuck loose. He did everything. He worked at a print shop by day and then he made punk flyers for all the venues and everybody and like would give them out to people for free. Like he was like running shit because there was nobody else to run it. It wasn't like there was a local all ages venue in town. It just didn't exist. So we all had to kind of like do our part 
and knock on doors and call people and be like, hey, let's do this thing. And I think my desire was the same as yours. Like, I just want to hang out with my friends and drink beer. Not that I really drank a lot of beer, but um, and not that you did either. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but but the the like the means to the end was like, if I can book a show or if I can help my friends put out records, we do all get to be on summer vacation for the rest of our lives. Like I could see the forest through the trees. Like, let's let's make shit cool. Like, let's make something cool. And also the older scene members made it look easy. Like they were like, this is where you press a record. And like, this is how you book a tour. Like, not that it was easy by any means also, but it was like, this is just what you do. Like, this is punk rock and this is how we do it. So I had some really good elders in my community that like took me under their wing and were just like, hey, if you want to make cool shit, you got to make it yourself. And I was like, okay, I guess I do. Yeah, that's very awesome. It's very DIY. And uh, I mean, I'm a big believer that like emo and punk sort of go hand in hand. It's just, you know, the it's all within one giant subgenre, right? Like, like, yeah, just a subgenre of punk to me. So I feel like the attitude is sort of still there. Like they they do go hand in hand. Uh, So it's really cool to see that you sort of had that at least tight-knit scene around you and community around you to sort of push you through to that that point where you were able able to do that one more thing that i will say just just want to bring up about the drinking thing is i don't know what it's like where you grew up i've i've mentioned actually on a couple of these things i've never really been to canada like i've never spent any time there whatsoever i've never seen a show there and i was talking to the guys in silverstein and i was like do I need to come to Canada? And they're like, yeah, fuck yeah. I actually have that in my notes here. I'm like, I noticed under the Silverstein's page is a little asterisk that says, I've never been to a show in Canada. Someone invite me and let me sleep on your floor. I was going to ask you if you've come to a show in Canada yet. If not, not yet. My my floor is available. You can come up. We can uh, go to a show in Toronto. We can go see. They just played in Toronto, but I was going to say, see Silverstein, but uh, there's a ton of shows that come through. They come I need Toronto. to go. Yeah, I need I need to go. Um, but what, what I mean by that is so in Miami, it's a very uh, strange place to grow up. There's a lot of police people out there in the world, policemen, policewoman, where and there's a lot of drunk driving and there's a lot of like horrible car accident fatality things. And the culture that I grew up in was very aware that like, if you fuck around with alcohol, things are over. Like you can get killed, Mm -hmm. you will get arrested, you will go to jail. And my father is a lawyer, so it's a whole other view of things. So I, I grew up with the like, don't be an idiot. Like, please don't be an idiot. So there, there was the like mentality of like hanging out with friends, but we all, like, I do remember specifically the one club that I worked at when I was much younger it was called Cheers. It was an all ages gay or it was, a, it was a gay bar. And then they would do a punk night where I would book shows. If people that were just attending the show saw kids who didn't know better drinking in the parking lot, they would walk out and be like, hey, like you can't do that here because if the police show up, we get shut down. Like it's not even a like you get arrested. It's like the club will lose its license and this is something special. So we all sort of held that moment a little more sacred than like regular teenagers that are like, fuck it, I'm going to drink. Like I remember working at Cheers 
I never drank there. I was like 16, 17 years old. And one night I went behind the bar to get a Coke and the woman who owned the bar, she's like, are you grabbing a beer? And I was like, I would never. And she's like, you could have a beer. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want a beer. Like, please. No. Um, so it was just like a different vibe, you know, like the, the means to get like drunk and fuck off and be a kid that was done in different places. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that's definitely, I, I don't know, maybe my, where I grew up, it it could be totally different because uh, at least within Canada, I feel like we're not as strict as the States. I mean, also our drinking age is 19 here in Ontario where I am 18 yeah. in a few other provinces. So it, it's definitely taken a little bit differently. We also like, I grew up in Toronto, so we have a, a pretty decent transit system. So it was sort of like we were, we grew up and we were taught very much like, okay, if you're going to do this do it responsibly, because basically our, all of our parents were like, we know you're going to do it. You're teenagers. We did it at our age. You're going to do yeah. it at your age. Like, just don't be stupid in that sense where like I, I had parents that were always like, Look, if you are out drinking with your friends uh, and uh, one of your friends ends up getting drunk and they were the ones that drove you there, like, call us. No questions asked. Anytime. We'll come pick you up. Don't get into any drunk driver's car uh, yeah. or take transit. And and we were fine sort of doing that. So, I mean, there were some there were also more venues, uh, a little less DIY in that sense. You know, we had some DIY venues, but there were full on venues like, you know, we'd have a few drinks and go into the bar. A lot of the times we didn't even get too, too drunk for shows just because, well, you want to go in there and kind of enjoy the music and, and remember yeah. that, right? So it was, yeah. you'd have a, a couple and or maybe smoke a joint in the alley and, and, and go <laughs> in. And that was sort of that was different, which I also hated doing that afterwards, too, because being high at shows would always just mess with me yeah uh, wrong vibe yeah 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 especially when you're at like a heavier show and you're still i'm just kind of like this is too much i can't i i can't uh <laughs> but that's very much where i was but i mean that those were the things that i wanted to do as a teenager was i wanted to get together with friends hang out drink smoke and then you know go to shows sometimes they were they kind of found their way to be together but yeah, by no means was I, uh, I. I was making friends with all of the promoters because they were letting me into the shows for free. But but by no means at sixteen was I like, I want to be a promoter because I can do this. I was kind of like, this job looks hard, and I just want to <laughs> enjoy the show and enjoy the music, and I don't want that to sort of take away from it. So I mean, good on you for being like, hey, you know what? Someone needs to step up here and do this because I mean, without you, there's so many amazing acts and bands that uh probably wouldn't have been as as far and successful as they were so i mean kudos to you for doing that thank you and uh yeah you are welcome at any time to crash on <laughs> my couch and come see a show in toronto we'll make it there's a ton of emo shows that come through here and they are a ton of fun i always say that like canada is a country that's just very appreciative so when an act comes through Canada, they almost always sell out or have to do two dates because yeah. they're like, oh, you came here. Like, this is awesome. Like, we're we're going to buy tickets. We love to show our support. We're a very supportive, supportive country that way. So uh, I, I find that shows in Toronto are definitely a lot of fun. So if you ever do find yourself here, let me know. We'll, I, we'll I will. There. Yeah, I, I definitely need to make it out there, up there, do do the the America adjacent. 
Uh, also, there's another thing that stood out for me besides just the Silverstein page. The Taking Back Sunday page, they sent you a lovely note, and uh, I want you to sort of – I've read it, but I want you to tell me because the people listening or watching, if they haven't read the Negatives book, I would uh, I would love to, them to, to hear what Taking Back Sunday sent you. Okay, so – I got a demo in the mail. It was a, I can't remember. I think it was a CDR. We had CDRs by then. Um, But I'll never forget what it said. Adam wrote in the liner notes, he wrote, sign my band or I'll kill you. And uh, I remember I would get a lot of demos in the mail. I don't want to like make myself seem like a big deal, but I would get a lot. And when you get something like that, you're like, okay, I'm going to (laughs) listen like this. uh, This is funny. Um, these days it was probably, it would probably be very bad, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think a lot of people find that funny. these days. No, but uh, back then the humor was very different. Um, we can just say that. And I listened to it and I thought they were so good. And somehow I had heard of them from my friend, Mike Dubin, who had, who has a ton of photos in the book. And I remember reaching out to Dubin and being like, they sent this thing that says, sign my banner, I'll kill you. And he's like, yeah, they sent that to everybody. And I was like, oh. Um, <laughs> that was like a, a little bit of the impact. <laughs> totally. Um, I remember talking with them and meeting with them. It, it didn't work out that we worked together, but we became buddies and I'll never forget it. I wish I held on to it. That's like one of those things that like it definitely went in a box and it definitely is gone somewhere. That's too bad. Yeah, That's it's gone. But, yeah. Uh, what a way to get someone's attention. I mean, Adam, he I feel like he's. He knew what he was doing. He definitely knew like, okay, I have to like make a mark, you know? Absolutely. Uh, We're coming up to that, uh, that time. I ask everyone at the end of uh, my podcast, who their favorite up and coming band is. Do you have a, a favorite newer artist? Now up and coming could also be just like a newer artist. Let's say like, I don't know, post 2015. (laughs) Post 2015. I have two answers. The first one, her name is Carly Hansen, and she's more than singer songwritery. Um, she does full band experience, but she has this song that's called 608 that I think I listen to maybe 40 times a day, by the way, which is how I know the Spotify and everything, whatever post year end rap is bullshit because she didn't even come in on there. And I'm Interesting. like, I listen to that every day, like, and it's been months and anyway, but yeah, Carly Hansen is amazing. I think she's going to do wonderful things. Um, and then as far as like super genre specific, um, I'm obsessed with arm's length. Their singer has this like urgency and like push in his voice. That's just super hooky to me that I'm really interested to see where that band goes musically, like their next five records, like where, what are they going to bring us? Um, so yeah, is that new enough? Is that, is that, new? I, I yeah. think arm's length definitely counts as uh, a newer up and coming artist as well. So yeah. Uh, thank you for those recommendations. I love that. Cause I just want to spread new music as much as my content has been focused on a lot of uh, older bands and yeah. uh, you know, nostalgia type things. I, I, I also love new music and I love keeping up with it. And I think that emo right now is in a really cool spot with a lot of newer bands. So I'm really curious to know, uh, 
what emo and pop punk bands other people are listening to today, which is yeah. Awesome. There's, uh, there's a lot happening. There's like definitely, I'm not sure what wave we're in. I think it's probably fifth or sixth by now, but it's like pool kids, arm's length. Like there's just so much good stuff. It's uh, it feels like these kids grew up listening to records that came out like when I was growing up and it's, they've done their homework. They're just so sick. Um, like they're real. They're authentic. It's not like they're just trying to capitalize on some old sound where they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is what 2000s pop punk sounded like. So we're just going to make some cheesy riffs and and people are going to love it because it's really hot right now. Like you can tell it's something that's genuine to them that they yeah. grew up sort of listening to the same things that we did. And the, like the influence is there. The sound is amazing. And uh, and yeah, I, th- I think it's in a really, really cool spot with, like you said, even pool kids. I actually had their record up on my wall uh, and just took it down as I switched things up. My last podcast uh, episode will have that uh, that you made room for me like you took theirs down and put mine up like I did yeah yeah I replaced it with negatives so as we wrap things up why don't you tell us uh where can people get this book okay so if you want to shop big if that is where you're like I just buy stuff off Amazon and I don't care um Amazon or Barnes and Noble is a great or even Target has it which blows my mind um if you want to shop small Pretty much every major city's like cool bookstore has it. Like if you go to Brooklyn, Books or Magic has it. If you go to Miami, Books and Books has it. Everybody has books in the title. It's so many books and books. Um, <laughs> it's at Amoeba. And if it's not at your local store and that's where you want to spend your dollars, they can order it for you. It's super easy. Um, you can probably do it online without even having to talk to a human. Um but yeah, any anywhere you can buy a book, it's there. So that's that's where you find it. I'll also throw some links up in the description of this episode as well. So it's also a great, great, great gift, especially around this time of the year. So uh, grab a few. <laughs> a few sounds awesome. Yeah, I think I'm going to do a contest. Uh, I'm figuring it out. It's It's on my list of things to do this week where like if you tag your emo BFF that needs the book, I'm going to do a big giveaway on my Instagram. Beautiful. So, and uh, what's your handle? A-M-Y is my first name. And then X for whatever reason. So it's Amy X Madden. um, Because I didn't want to do Amy Fleischer Madden because I wasn't sure how long I was going to keep the Fleischer. (laughs) But the Fleischer is here to stay. And it's just Amy X Madden. Perfect. So people can go to Amy X Madden to follow you, get in on that contest and uh, links in bio. They can grab the book basically anywhere. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, having a chat with me today, Amy. Anytime. Super fun. Thank you for listening to Our Space with Matt Batiste. If you enjoyed yourself, please support the show by subscribing and leaving a review. 